the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is BJ Cunningham. It's a lot to get to today. I will talk with Jordan Majeski later in the show. Friend of the pod will talk Missouri Valley, trying to crack the code in that fascinating conference. Also talk his favorite national title contenders. As always, we will have the guys from the three-man weave. Jim Root, Matt Cox, Kai McEwen. We will do our Friday night six-pack, fresh off of five in one week. BJ and I will go through our circled spots on Saturday, as we do each and every Friday. And we will check in with our friend, Mr. Wilson, Colin Wilson. We got a push last week. We'll call it a push, but we'll talk to him shortly. BJ, what's going on, brother? Not much. It's, uh, we finally reached this, the stretch run of the regular season. Football's over, college basketball center stage, and we got uh, – a really, really nice slate this weekend. Yep. Yeah, it's time. Uh, it's time for – I'm still just trying to get on a run. I need a couple big days in a row to just get into March feeling It's nice good to be uh, statistically due, due, though, come March, right? Yeah, you would think. But sometimes it's just <laughs> not your year. We Hopefully yeah. it's not this one. Colin, by the way, is joining us live from the airport. What about you, Wilson? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid that reality as we know it is someone else's dream. When the dreamer wakes, I'll no longer exist. Wilson, you're not making me feel any better. Uh, Colin, we, we called it a push. We just said it was a push last week with Gonzaga. It was 16. I mean, some people got 15 and a half. Some got 16, but it was mostly 16 for the day. So you're still sitting at 2-0. What's going on, brother? What airport are you in? Where are you headed? I'm in the Tulsa airport heading to Phoenix. It's the wife's birthday. She said, you got to get me out of this bad weather. You got to get me some golf. You got to get me in the desert next to my parents. And so that's where we're going. Nice 77 degrees. We're going to golf some Scottsdale. And uh, it's a Catholic school four-day weekend. So we decided to take a good uh, four-day weekend to, to get out of town. But uh, we're going to work on my golf game while I got some bets going on at Riviera. If only she said she wanted to go last week to Phoenix. Uh, but it could be a good time. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoy your trip. Safe travels as always. Uh, we won't keep you too long. But you have come to us each week with a winner. What do you got? Yeah. Well, I had 15 and a half on Gonzaga last week, and that's, you know, there's only two or three books that offered that, and it closed 16, so definitely the push is happening there. And, you know, last night I went to Pepperdine, and I'm going to stay with this theme. I was looking at all the games coming down. I I just don't trust Texas. I think Texas Tech is just playing on fire right now. I put some stuff out on Twitter today to show what your, you know, beige and score, your efficiency has been on offense and defense over the past 30 days, because right now you want to find out who's hot. And right now Texas Tech is just on fire, so I'm not going to take the whole beard angle. I'm going to stay away from that, and I'm going to stay with Gonzaga. And what my handicap on this game with Santa Clara is, is you saw Pepperdine. The only way you can keep up with Gonzaga is you have to have max pace and you have to have shooters. You just got to go run and gun. And Pepperdine did that all night. And the only player for Gonzaga that showed up on defense was Chet Holmgren. Uh, Timmy took the night off. Nevart took the night off. Sometimes these guys just go to sleep, especially on the road. So considering, you know, the spread was 30, they only won by 20. I think you get a max effort out of Gonzaga against Santa Clara. And the reason that I like this game to go over the total, they played each other before the score was 115 to 83. Ken Palm says this total is going to be like 165. I would be surprised if it opened 170, but Santa Clara top 25 in pace. Gonzaga, I think is number one in pace. Gonzaga literally didn't play any defense whatsoever up and down the court is exactly what they want to do. Santa Clara is the same way. And I think considering that Pepperdine was actually within 10 late in that game, you're going to get a max effort out of Gonzaga. So I'm going to take the over. I know the total is going to be around 165 to 170. I'll hit the opener. I assume it'll take steam. 
But these two teams are top 25 in offensive pace. And I think, you know, with Gonzaga, that's just that you're going to have to, these guys are scoring 110, uh, especially at home. We said that last week. So I'm going to take the over with those guys. Yeah, I had, unfortunately, had Santa Clara in that first game. Gonzaga scored 115 in regulation. Uh, right. But yeah, Santa Clara could score. They're playing a lot better now than they were when those two teams met. Um, so hopefully the Broncos can keep it somewhat close. But yeah, should be a very fast-paced game. And Gonzaga is just going to go. It's just what they do, and they are a juggernaut in transition. Uh, all right, so there it is. Colin going back to Spokane uh, for a second straight Saturday. Enjoy your trip, and we'll catch up with you next weekend. All right. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Woo, pig suey. All right, BJ, before we get into our circled spots for Saturday, then we'll get to Friday Night Six Pack, and we'll close with uh, my interview with Jordan. What One takeaway or something you learned this week or uh, something you just want to mention? Well, I, the big thing I really took away from this week is that regression is just a really funny thing because on Wednesday we had two of the luckiest teams in college basketball, Providence and Wyoming, in really not that great spots uh, in the midweek. Obviously, Wyoming lost to New Mexico. Providence loses at home to Villanova. And you look at the shot quality numbers afterwards, and both teams should have won the game. So, Obviously, if you're a Providence fan, you're like, hey, we should have won that game. You can't really complain too much since you've had this much luck already this season. But it's just a good message to people out there as we go towards the end of the season. I think we're going to see some of that. Obviously, some of that regression is going to come, but it can honestly flip the other way where teams come down the stretch and they get unlucky and suddenly everything evens out by the time we get to March Madness. So be on the lookout for that. You know, don't just pencil in Providence as, oh, they're a lucky team, you know, come March and I'm going to bet against them right away. It can potentially turn the other way down the stretch here. So my thing is just regression is just a funny thing. Uh, not only college basketball, just throughout sports. Yeah. Betting too. Some, sometimes teams just will get lucky all year. Sometimes they'll get unlucky all year. Statistically, it's just, you're going to have some teams that do some teams that don't um, betting's the same way. I was just talking to you like, there's some regression in some of the, you know, back doors and things of that nature. But some, that doesn't mean I'm, they're going to get them in the next two weeks or month. You know, regression right. is to the mean is something over the long run that you yep. can rely on, but not over short sample sizes. Bynum had some terrible shots late for Providence and Gillespie was just a killer late. Uh, that shot fake and, and three and another dagger three late. Um, impressive performance by him. He just went off. Uh, I'll say... The one big takeaway that I had is I think Houston is out as a potential national title contender. So if you look at their metrics, they're like top 16 in offense and defense, but I think all their losses are eventually going to catch up to them. Personnel losses and injury and, you know, so depth's out question. And, you know, they've lost two straight. They lost at SMU, then they lost at home to Memphis. So while they fit the, you know, I put a piece out on actionnetwork.com, like, all right, you got to be like top 25 offense, your offensive, defense, adjusted efficiency going into the tournament have to be, when you add them up, have to be below 50. And they were one of the 11 teams that fit the bill. Um, and another team that I didn't think may, had a chance, but is creeping up into my, okay, maybe they do, is Tennessee. Tennessee, with an impressive win over Kentucky, Kentucky hobbled again without Washington. It was just huge. But, you know, the problem early in the year that we had with Tennessee was their offense. And they just went through so many droughts. But their guards – uh, have really started to figure it out. I mean, Ziegler's, as for a freshman, is tremendous. Uh, they can shoot, and their offense just looks a lot more competent. And you also have, you know, Josiah Jordan-James, I think, who's giving them a lot more. I think he's an important piece. So I think Tennessee now has the chops offensively to make a run. I'm not as worried about, okay, they're just going to go through these enormous droughts. So their offense is definitely trending up. We know that their defense is there. Uh, so it just comes down to the other side of the ball. All right, um, let's let's just dig right in to Saturday. So many games, so little time. Let's look at the Saturday slate. Let's uh, start with the buy low spot. Let you kick things off. We don't we don't share what we have. Sometimes we have duplicates, so I'll give you the the advantage um, of going first here for the first couple. What do you got? Buy low. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy low on Oklahoma on the road in Ames against Iowa State. They've been Oklahoma's been incredibly unfortunate in the Big 12. I'm pretty sure they're four and nine. They've lost a ton of close games Tuesday against Texas and overtime was a perfect example. But four of their losses in the Big 12 have came by less than three points and two of those obviously came in overtime. They're going to have a massive, massive advantage inside against Iowa State. Oklahoma is fifth in the country in two-point field goal percentage, which is mainly due to the fact that 
41% of their shots come at the rim, and they're shooting 67% on those shots at the rim. Iowa State is dead last in the Big 12 during conference play in two-point field goal percentage allowed, and they're allowing 67% at the rim. So Oklahoma should just dominate down low, pretty much like what they did in the first meeting. Oklahoma is also 12th in the country in points per possession and transition offense, while Iowa State is 222nd defensively in that same category. And the Iowa State offense, the regression has just come for them, and it came in a big way. They're dead last in the Big 12 in adjusted offensive efficiency during conference play, dead last in offensive rebounding percentage, dead last in free throw rate, and are shooting under 29% from behind the arc. So it's a, it's a bad Iowa State offense, which makes me very happy to see. But this is a great spot for Oklahoma. Ken Palm has us at Iowa State minus two. I'd love the Sooners at anything, you know, plus uh, money, but I'll take them uh, at a pick them or better. And they might even be a dark horse pick for the, the Big 12 tournament as well. Yeah, they've lost two games, two straight games, one at Kansas by two, and then at home against Texas by two in overtime. Um, and overall, they've lost five of six. And they beat Iowa State. I worry a bit about the turnovers, but I think more shots are going to start falling for Oklahoma. And, yeah, I agree. I think this Iowa State team is fading. You know, they did just beat TCU by three in a game where uh, Mike Miles for TCU went, like, over, um, got banged up a little bit. TCU shot three of 18 from three. Um, before that, Iowa State, you know, they lost at home to Kansas State. They lost at West Virginia. They got blown out at Texas. They got, you know, they lost by nine at home against you. So they're they're heading in the wrong direction. I think that this is a good spot to get a desperate Oklahoma team. You know, they do have Texas Tech on deck. They already beat Texas Tech. I think that they're, you know, Porter Mose will have them focus here. There's no concern of a, a look ahead or anything. Um, so I don't mind this at all. Uh, for my buy low spot, I'm going to go with a team I just mentioned. I, this might be the last time I can go to them if they don't cover here, but West Virginia, um, which has lost nine out of 10, and they are on the outside looking in. I think they're one in or two in 10 in quad one games this year. If they get this win at home against Kansas on Saturday night in front of what should be an absolutely insane environment, again, I was projecting this around six. One of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. They're right back squarely on the bubble if they pick up this quad one win. I mean, this is essentially their season. Remember, they, you know, they they've shown flashes of late, right? They, I mean, they got the the blowout at Oklahoma State and then blowout at Kansas State. So you're coming off too low. Like this is as low as I think you're gonna get West Virginia on the year. Tash Sherman doesn't go down at Baylor. They might win that game. Texas Tech, they fight with them all the way to the end. Tash Sherman didn't play that game. So they've shown flashes here. They got blown out by Kansas. Kansas, you know, they have rivalry game with Kansas State, then Baylor on deck. They're going to West Virginia here. Maybe they're a little fat and happy after two straight wins. But I think that this is just the season for West Virginia. I worry about them just giving up a million offensive boards to Kansas, who's just great on the offensive glass. West Virginia is 349th in the country in defensive rebounding. But this is just like your all-out max effort game where I think that that can give you a bump on the defensive glass and where they're lacking a little bit. So, yeah, if I can get six with West Virginia, I think I may have to take the Mountaineers, maybe even a little lower than that. But this is it. This is their season um, in front of one of the primetime Saturday night, in front of the most raucous environments that you'll see all season. Uh, thoughts there and, uh, were you selling high? Well, uh, that's really funny because my sell high is Kansas <laughs> because oh, perfect. selling. Yeah. So, uh, selling high in the fact that I don't think Kansas is the number one seed. They're currently projected to be, if you look at bracket matrix. Uh, so obviously I agree with all your points there. The only thing I'll add is that historically Kansas has really, really struggled in Morgantown since West Virginia joined the big 12 in 2013, Kansas has only won twice in Morgantown. So, Obviously, like you mentioned, one of the best atmospheres in college basketball. That first meeting, uh, West Virginia did grab 16 offensive rebounds, and they went to the free throw line 28 times, but they just shot 17 of 63 from the field. So obviously, some shooting aggression should come back uh, in this matchup. And it, you know, if you look at their shot quality numbers, West Virginia much much better offense than what they've been putting up so far. So I agree. Make some layups. Yeah, make some, make some layups. Layup. Shoot the three ball a little better. But yeah, Tash Sherman back. This is all in, all in spot. They need this if they want to make the tournament. Kansas doesn't really need it. I mean, obviously they want to be a one seed, but you know, 
uh, there'll be a one or two probably, you know, regardless of, uh, what happens here. So yeah, all in, all in on West Virginia in the spot here. Yeah. And during conference play teams are shooting and, and Kansas has an, an excellent versatile defense, but teams are shooting 26 and a half percent from three yeah, in conference play that, you know, a good comparison. Sometimes you have bad shooting conferences, good shooting conferences, but the next best is, you know, Kansas state at almost three percentage points higher. Um, and then you got to go to Texas, uh, Texas and Baylor, um, which are closer to 29 and a half, 30 and a half. So I think that they're West Virginia hit some sh- outside shots here, effort, just all in great environment, great spot. My sell high um, is your sell high. I'm getting all confused because we've done nothing yeah. but big 12 <laughs> and you've had Kansas. My sell high is Texas tech. Um, okay. This is now a big 12 podcast. And Look, I, I, one thing I learned this week is don't fade Texas Tech and love it. I mean, it is in, in – first of all, they already had one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. Always a great atmosphere. You know, you have some altitude there. And, you know, I have a close to, you know, four and a half, five points overall and blend non-conference and conference. And on Kempon, they're actually up, up to number one in the nation, 4.8 points. And – I don't have them as high. I, I still have Colorado higher, but um, it's just an incredible home court advantage. And then this year in particular, like the kids are camping out and like Mahomes is going, it is just rock. And you just, just don't fade them. I don't, the bounces they're getting too, like with O'Banner and all these corner threes, he just hits the front rim and they all just bounce up. I don't know. They have some kind of voodoo magic going on, but you know, after that huge win over Baylor, now they go on the road to Texas. Texas should be a crazy environment too for Beard this is, I think, it's going to be a sellout. Get their revenge from that game when they went to Texas Tech and they heard all the shit and they had a deal with Lubbock. I actually was impressed with how they fought in that game. I got to give credit to Texas Tech, but I still have questions about their offense. And let's take a look at what they've done on the road. They're, I think their numbers are being pretty inflated by their home performance. They're unfadeable at home. But let's take a look at their last few games on the road. They lost at Oklahoma by 15. You know, then they won at West Virginia. They pulled away late. West Virginia didn't have Todd Sherman playing in that game. Um, you know, they went to Kansas. They went to double overtime, which in Allen Fieldhouse is an impressive performance. But Kansas led by like 12 with six minutes to go and blew that late lead and then still held on. Before that, they lost by double digits at Kansas State. Um, you know, and then they picked up that win at Baylor and then they lost at Iowa State. You know, they lost also lost at Providence. That's their entire road resume. Right. Lost at Providence, lost at Iowa State, lost at Kansas State, lost at Kansas, lost at Oklahoma. Um, you know, and they have wins over a shorthanded West Virginia team and a really impressive win against Baylor. But that's it. Um, and so I didn't play in that game. So I, I just think this is a smash spot for Texas. Um, they're projected as a small favorite here, which is what I imagine you get them at. I'm sure they'll probably take money. But give me the horns here. Revenge game. 1230 Eastern on ABC. Home dog for you. Uh, I'm going to go, I mean, by the way, do you agree? You agree with me on Texas? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, like you ran through those results, it's, it's night and day difference between away versus home form for, for Texas tech. So, yeah, I mean, they can't keep getting all these bounces, you know, especially like they've gotten at home and, you know, I, we obviously worry with Texas, the, the five minutes where just nothing seems to fall for them. Yeah. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah, again, going to be an amazing atmosphere, you know, ABC game uh, around, I think it's at what, 12, 1230 Eastern time. It'll yep. be uh, an amazing atmosphere and, and we'll see what the, I'm very, very interested to see where this line opens. Obviously Ken Palm has it at minus two. Uh, I'll be interested to see if it's actually at two or if Texas tech uh, gets some little love in the market. Maybe we can get Texas at a better number. Yep. But uh, yeah, uh, home dog, home dog. I'm going to go Florida uh, against Auburn. Uh, on Saturday, it's uh, Florida just looks much better with Colin Castleton back to the lineup. With obviously with him, he'll he'll, he'll be able to match the size up front with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. The big thing with Auburn, and we just talked about it with Texas Tech. There, same thing. Same exact By the way, this thing. This is my home dog. I circle too. So. Okay, perfect. There we go. Uh, if you, well, we can just run through it right now. This is like a Mike Francesa bit, but we'll just run through it. Just lost lost to Arkansas their last road game. Only one by two at Georgia. Only one by one at Missouri. One by nine at Mississippi, but the Rebels had a 14-point lead in the first half and were without Darkell Joyner. Then, then one by four at Alabama. It's not not that good. Even on Wednesday, Vanderbilt was kind of dominating them early. Uh, they had a lead on them, you know, late in the first half, and you know, obviously Auburn pulled away and won by 14. But 
we've, I think we've talked about it a few times, but uh, Auburn, one of the luckiest teams in college basketball, 22 and two actual record, but a, a 20 and six shot quality record. Well, Florida is a little underrated and it's due for some positive regression. So, and Florida really should have beat Texas A&M earlier this week. They played an outstanding second half and I think they'll be able to use that momentum uh, into this one. And this is, you know, this is kind of an all in spot here for Florida. They're, they're sitting, you know, around 500. They definitely need this. Same as West Virginia. Yeah. They definitely need this one to help their resume. So uh, yeah, love, love Florida. It's Ken Palm, I believe has it at, uh, Auburn minus five or minus six. Uh, so yeah, I'd love Florida at anything, probably uh, plus four and a half or better. Yeah. Auburn, just like Texas tech juggernaut at home. I think they're now, they have a bit of push depends on what now I think they, I don't know. It depends on where to lie. I got to see where it closes you at 13 and a half or 14, but they've only not covered one game at home all year. And it came against, uh, I think North Alabama back in December when they won 70 to 44, they're laying like 28. And there was a late run by North Florida. That's it. They're a juggernaut at home, and they their results on the road are very shaky, as you mentioned. They beat Missouri by one, beat Georgia by two, uh, all within the past month. And, you know, they lost at Arkansas in overtime. Uh, just a different team away from home. And, and Rodney Chapman, who I think is really important to Vanderbilt, he didn't even play last game. And, and Vanderbilt still came out and swinging. So, yeah, this is Florida's season. And I think that you know, they can control the tempo here at home they're going to make some shots eventually uh, 29% from three. It's not a great shooting team, but they can get some open looks and Auburn will take some bad shots. Um, yeah. I think that this is the time to get Florida all in desperation spot. Uh, so I agree. Uh, so for my home dog, I have to go with another one. Um, let's stay in the sec and I'm going to go with South Carolina they're coming off an emotional buzzer beater win. They also won at Georgia, so they swept the road trip. They're playing a little better. You know, they they hung with Kentucky. And I think that this is a team that's trending up. And LSU, look, they blew out Georgia. It was just a, a great matchup for them. They beat Mississippi State at home by four. They beat a, a reeling Texas A&M team after they just got off to a really fast start. So they've won three and all. People are like, oh, LSU is fixed. I'm not so – quick to say that um i also will mention that south carolina elite transition defense and that's really important against lsu because their half court numbers are just absolutely disgusting and if you can keep lsu in the half court their offense is going to struggle um so i think that south carolina even though they've won two straight i think that's kind of washed out by the fact that LSU has won three straight and people think that they're back, but South Carolina 95, 95th percentile in transition defense on the season. They've been excellent in that regard. And then if you look, this is all per synergy. If you look at LSU's offense, half court, 23rd percentile in transition, which they do, you know, they get out close to 20% of the time, which is top hundred rate. They're 63rd percentile. So they thrive when they get out in transition. Uh, LSU, by the way, one, three straight. They also have Kentucky on deck um you know so going to south carolina could be uh, a little bit of a sleepy spot here so give me the cocks um you know the turnovers for south carolina could become an issue but they force a lot of turnovers too and lsu will cough it up uh and i like that south carolina whose defense is vastly underrated um i like that there have been great in transition both teams should live on the offensive glass uh i think that well, South Carolina is a, a lively home dog here, catching you know same price range as Florida. Um, so uh, who I had circled. Um, so yeah, give me the Cox, and uh, you agree there? Yep, I agree. I think LSU probably will be a tad overvalued there. Obviously, coming off a few uh, good performances, LSU is kind of funny because we we're all screaming for negative regression for them, and it kind of came. And then they've kind of turned the corner and been playing a little bit better. But yes, not a great spot for them here on the road, especially coming off a big win. Uh, at home in the midweek. All right, before we get to Friday Night Lights, let's go through any other spots we had circled. Uh, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go something a little different. I'm going to go with a total. Uh, pretty big game in the ACC on Saturday. Notre Dame at Wake Forest. Uh, this game is actually really, really important. It was actually tied with Duke uh, in the conference and maybe should have been, you know, one game ahead of them if it wasn't for a, uh, a phantom call in, in uh, Durham uh, earlier this week. But Notre Dame survived overtime against Boston College on Wednesday, but Boston College didn't have two of their best players. The Eagles were able to torch Notre Dame, 1.22 points per possession, 63% inside the arc. But luckily for Notre Dame, they made 33 free throws, which is insane. 
I, I really question if Notre Dame is going to be able to control the pace here. They're obviously fairly slow, 284th in adjusted tempo, but Wake Forest, one of the highest in the ACC, 58th overall in the country. And my guess is that Notre Dame, if they really want to actually exploit Wake Forest where they're vulnerable, they're going to have to play in transition because Wake Forest is in the bottom 30% of college basketball in points per possession allowed in transition defense. Uh, We may see Notre Dame mess around a little bit with some zone uh, because they're really, really bad in half-court man-to-man defense. Wake Forest, uh, a couple times this season, obviously they faced Syracuse twice. Their numbers against the zone are a little worse than they are against a man, but you know, Wake Forest is still shooting close to 36% from behind the arc, 62% from two-point range, and 68% on shot attempts at the rim. And Notre Dame, one of the lowest turnover percentages on defense. So it's going to be hard for me to see how they're going to stop them unless Wake Forest just goes incredibly cold against the zone. Notre Dame, I mean, the reason they're so good is they're one of the more efficient shooting teams in the ACC. They hit around 38% from behind the arc, 51% from inside the arc. They're also fourth in the ACC, and like I just mentioned, you know, points per possession and transition while Wake Forest one of the worst in college basketball. So uh, I'm guessing the pace of this game is probably going to be pretty fast, uh, much faster than what Notre Dame usually plays. So the, uh, Ken Palm has the total at 141. Uh, I'll, I'll play anything uh, 145 or higher because I think this is going to be a, end up being a track meet between two really good offenses. Yeah, I don't love Wake against zones because they, they are very rim line. If they can get to the rim, they're going to have a lot of success either scoring there or kicking out for three. So the zone kind of takes away some of that. But um, against Notre Dame, like one of the, one of the things that really holds back Wake Forest offense is the turnovers. I mean, they're they're turning it over over twenty percent, a twenty percent rate during conference play, which is fourteenth in the ACC. They're two hundred and twenty second on the year in turnover percentage, just three hundred and twenty fourth in steal percentage allowed. Notre Dame doesn't turn teams over, so they're not. There's not going to be a lot of these wasted possessions for Wake Forest, and their offense is really good when they don't turn it over. And Notre Dame isn't going to turn you over. So, yeah, I don't don't hate it. Uh, one spot that I have circled, I'm going to go – I'm. Uh, it's scary to go back to the well, but I'm probably going to go back to well with Alabama against my Cats. Um, Ken Pop projects is a 10. I would love to get 10 at Kentucky. I don't think Ty Ty Washington's going to play. I think he's just super important to everything Kentucky wants to do. And Kentucky would be stupid to try and play him. Get him healthy, by the way. It's my only future. I, I don't want him to play – for another week or two, just get him healthy. I think he's really important. He played in that first game against Alabama. He had 15 points, you know, three rebounds, two assists. So take him out. I just think he does a lot of things with them in transition on the defensive end. He's just a really important piece. And Alabama didn't have Darius Miles, who I think matters a bit, especially when you have another body in there. And Alabama's going to make shots eventually. It's not a great – they don't get as good as shots, and it's not as good of a shooting team as last year, but they're shooting 27.5% from three in league play. And that includes three of 30. Three of 30 against Kentucky when they first played and they lost at home. So you have a little bit of a revenge spot here. Kentucky, by the way, they're shooting over 37%, which is first in the conference in league play. So I think that Alabama's going to hit some shots eventually. Um, you know, against Ole Miss, they went 14 of 22. And then they play Arkansas the next day, the next game. They go 7 of 29. So it's, it's you know, then they went 6 of 30 against Mississippi State the other night. So they're really hit or miss. Hopefully they're hitting because that'll be a huge key to the game here. Um, but I think that we might get some value with Alabama. No Washington, miles back, revenge spot. Kentucky hasn't really been just trucking teams at home, um, but I might get some value with Alabama. Um, another home team in the SEC that I'll mention is Arkansas against Tennessee. Tennessee off that Kentucky win. Maybe this game's on a coin flip. It's actually Arkansas that's the number one defense in the SEC. This team is just trending way, way up and continues to go way, way up. Super impressed with them. Um, I actually think they match up pretty well with Tennessee. It might be a little hungover after that. I mean, they wanted that Kentucky win bad after getting embarrassed, and they, they got it, so they might be – little flat coming out here in Fayetteville. Uh, what else you got? Uh, I'm going to go a little late night and uh, kind of down the board here. I'm going to go to the Big West Conference. I love UC Irvine against Hawaii. Back-to-back road games coming from the island for Hawaii. They're playing UC San Diego tonight. Uh, and UC Irvine just played UC San Diego on Tuesday. So they two advantage of two days rest on Hawaii. UC Irvine is an incredible defense. Top 20, or second actually in the country in three-point percentage allowed and 16th in two-point field goal percentage allowed. They're only allowing around 25% from behind the arc in conference play. Now, is that sustainable? No. But Hawaii is shooting close to 37% 
from behind the arc in conference play. And it's really not sustainable if you look at their shot quality numbers. Hawaii also hardly ever gets to the free throw line and they're pretty average offensive rebounding. So we'll see uh, what happens in a, in a regression battle here. But, you know, UC Irvine, basically all their offense is going right to the rim, which we, you could say isn't the best of matchups against Hawaii, who is first in the conference and two point field goal percentage allowed. Uh, but UC Irvine will be able to match the size up front. And that's not something that Hawaii is really used to in the big West. If you go through all their, their games, they basically had a size advantage in every single one of them or height advantage, at least except for a game against UC Riverside who torched them inside shot around 55% from inside the arc. So I think this is a great spot uh, getting UC Irvine, you know, playing back-to-back home games, Hawaii coming from the Island for the fourth time this season. Uh, Ken Palm has that UC Irvine minus six. So I, I love uh, the Anteaters uh, to blow out the Rainbow Warriors uh, late Saturday night. I'm going to go with, and this is kind of contingent. I might still play it regardless, but Chattanooga, assuming they beat UNC Greensboro tonight, they basically, well, they will lock up the Southern Conference because they swept Furman. So they'd be up, even if Furman loses, they'd be up three games with three to go. And let's see, Furman has, yeah, Furman only has two left. Yeah, they would lock it up tonight with a win. So they would clinch the regular season title. I guess maybe they have an outside shot on an at-large, but after doing so, they might be a little flat. I think they might be a little flat tonight too. At home against VMI. VMI is playing their best basketball of the year. Electric offense. They played earlier this year at VMI. VMI lost by four, 78-74. In that game, DeSosa, Silvio DeSosa, the, the big man for Chattanooga who transferred from Kansas, I think it's pretty important. He had 13 points. Um, I, he's doubtful tonight. I don't think he's going to play, but it could be just a little hangover spot against an excellent VMI offense. VMI, very high variance team. They are number one in the country in three-point rate, the 54% three-point rate, and they're number 356 in opponent three-point rate. They give up oh, 48.8% three-point rate. So, like, you're going to get a lot of threes on both ends, um, but if – Chattanooga's a little sleepy, a little hungover, a little flat. I think uh, that variance may work in VMI's favor here. So uh, give me the cadets on the road. They lost to Citadel this past weekend in a uh, rivalry game there, a little service academy rivalry game. But before then, they were playing really good basketball. Um, and I think that they can hang within a number that you know, you're probably close to double digits. Anything else for you? Uh It'll depend on the line here, but I kind of like Oklahoma State at home against Kansas State in a revenge spot. This is pretty much it for Oklahoma State. Obviously, they have the postseason ban, and this is their last winnable game of the season. So I think you'll get an all-in effort from them at home where they've played much better than they have on the road. They lost by a buzzer beater to Kansas State earlier. It was a really, really close game. They're really unlucky to, to lose it. They shot close to 60% from inside the arc uh, against Kansas State but just and was up two with a minute and a half to go and just couldn't close the deal. Uh, they're going to force – you know, the Wildcats into a ton of three-pointers because uh, Oklahoma State's top 30 and two-point field goal percentage allowed, block percentage and field goal percentage allowed at the rim. While Kansas State is second to last in the Big 12 uh, in two-point field goal percentage. And also Kansas State won't be able to exploit Oklahoma State's one glaring weakness on defense, which is their rebounding because they're near the bottom of the Big 12 in offensive rebounding percentage. Kansas State is fifth in the country in three-point field goal percentage allowed. And that's great, but it's not really going to matter in this one because Oklahoma State takes one of the lowest, uh, has one of the lowest three-point rates in the country. Uh, 42% of their shots come at the rim, uh, and Kansas State is allowing 62% on those shot attempts at the rim. So I think this is a good matchup for Oklahoma State, uh, obviously depending on the line. Um, I'm hoping we maybe we can get them at minus five, which is currently what Ken Palm has. Uh, so Oklahoma State, Minus five or better. I think this is all in pretty much it for them this season. Uh, obviously, they have some tough matchups coming up. So with their last winnable game at second to last game at home for the season, I think it's a good spot for the Cowboys. Cool, folks. All right. Uh, let's get to the Friday night six pack. Six guys, six picks. It's a College Hoops weekend six pack. Last week was a good week. We went four and one, hit the the double. So we're 14 and 10 on the season. Jim, kick things off for us. For my six-pack pick, I'm going with the VCU Richmond over 130 and a half. That's what I'm seeing right now. I like it up to 133. The last time these two played, very recently, 
the total was 134. So there's a drop here, and I don't think that's correct. VCU is playing faster lately, four straight games over 70 possessions, and they are going to be without, likely, without Hassan Ward, their elite shot blocker, big-time rim protector. Taking him out of the lineup is a big boost to the over, get a slightly better offensive player, a worse defensive player on the court. That's key there. And VCU's offense is not great, but it is better with Vince Williams back. He has missed a couple games with injury. He's a good passer, a knockdown shooter on the wing. That really helps. On the other end, Richmond can beat VCU's pressure with backdoors. They could have scored a lot more efficiently in the first game, but they only shot sub-15% from three. They got decent looks. I think they'll get better looks this time. So if we get somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 possessions, I think the efficiency will be good enough to get us over that 130 and a half. And again, up to 133, I like the over. All right, Jim going with VCU Richmond over. Uh, Kai, what do you got? All right, guys, for my best bet, I am going with Butler. Anything over plus nine, going to St. John's. And this Butler team is not the same as it once was earlier in the season. They're actually competent now. They've covered six of their last eight games. They lost to Xavier by two, St. John's by three, Creighton by two, and are coming off a win over Marquette and DePaul. The one worry you have to have about Butler is personnel, as always. Bryce Inzi, as well as Bo Hodges, were both out last game against DePaul. Again, a game in which Butler won. They are game-time decisions against St. John's tonight. I still like Butler here, anything over nine. St. John's off that massive win against Xavier, a good letdown spot for them. That's Butler plus nine on the road. And Matt? Close us up here. I'm looking at the golden flashes of Kent State for my best bet. Uh, early openers have them pegged as a one-point favorite hosting Ohio. Uh, the incendiary Bobcats are coming to town, but even hotter are the flashes. The winners of seven straight uh, coming off an impressive win at Toledo, a team that looked like a mini juggernaut so far. It almost seems like the odds makers are afraid of the Kent State money as they seem to have shaded this an extra point and a half in the favor of the flashes. A big reason could be because of the potential absence of Jason Carter, regarded as one of the most versatile and effective defenders within the MAC for a front line that lacks a lot of depth. And that's where Kent State's bread and butter is up front. As good as their backcourt has been recently with the return of Gio Santiago and Sincere Carey, uh, they have the interior muscle that very few MAC teams lack. It's why they've been such a good matchup for a lot of the heavy hitters. Um, within this conference. I like the Golden Flashes. Anything up to minus two at home as they look to extend their climb into the upper echelon of the max standings. Uh, three good ones. I, I, I agree with all of them. And yeah, Jason Carter, I think, is important for Ohio. I actually faded Ohio the other night and Miami Ohio decided they were up to double digits at one point. They plus 11, decided to foul down 11 with three seconds left. Um, they lost by 13, which is the largest lead of Ohio for the game for Ohio. But I mean, they went, Vanderpuss went nuts. He had like 30 something points for Ohio. He went 22 of 24 from the line. Uh, Ohio went three of six from the line. So yeah, I think that he's really important. You have a freshman who made his first start of his career. Didn't do much against my Ohio and uh, it's a lot tougher sledding against Kent state who is absolutely rolling right now. And Ohio beat Kent state earlier this year, 80 to 72 at home. But in that game, Carter played. Um, he had 10 points, eight rebounds. And Giovanni Santiago, really good player, played on the uh, Puerto Rican national team. He's, he didn't play in that game. Um, and their offense has just been on another level. When he plays, him and Sincere Carey can just catch fire. I think Kent State can bully them a little bit inside. Kent State is coming off that big win over Toledo, and then they beat Akron. But uh, the home crowd here, they have a chance to get basically – they're 11-4 and four in the conference. Ohio has no – in the first place at 13 and two, they can make this really interesting with a win. So I think that that can kind of prevent some of the letdown factor here in regards to VCU Richmond agree there um, with the over. I like that. You can pull up the shot quality, BJ. I think I had Richmond in the first game and they shot like 10% from three and then VCU won on like a bank and then a prayer three at the end. It was torture, torturous loss but uh yeah i and i talked about it the first time i think this is a really good matchup for richmond because they don't turn the ball over and vcu needs to get in transition they need to create turnovers because their half-court offense is so ugly and um you know richmond can shoot and they're not going to turn it over i think just think it's a really good matchup and then they can kind of capitalize on the aggressiveness of vcu's defense uh with those back doors as jim alluded to and yeah butler 
I really like Butler. If Hodges can play, I mean, since Hodges was off of minutes restriction, if you look at some like Torvik, Butler's, by the way, the top 10 in momentum, positive momentum right now, they're like a top, right on the fringe of a top 50 team with Hodges and everyone back. Their freshmen are playing better. So him and Enzi, I think, are important. They played St. John's just like two weeks ago. So you got a revenge spot here. St. John's, the biggest lead of the game was by three. When they won by three, they came back. St. John's threw like a zone out for the last 15 minutes and it just completely stumped Butler. Um, I think they'll be more prepared here. Since Hodge's been back in their full lineup, no minutes restrictions, these teams have been about equal. And St. John's been playing better. Um, would love to get eight if uh, Butler's at full strength. I think they're both two game time decisions. Those are my thoughts on those. But for me, I, I'm going to go with, let's see what this line's at right now. Yeah, why not? I'm going to go with, uh, what can Brown do for you? I'm going to go with Brown... Uh, who I backed against uh, Cornell, and they won at the buzzer basically to keep their season alive, and they've won their last two games by one and two points. But this is a team that lost to Yale by three. They lost to Penn by four. They lost to this Princeton team by two. So it's nice to see the regression on the other side and come back to them. In the Ivy standings, the top four make the Ivy tournament. Cornell's is sitting at five and five. Princeton's at seven and two. They're pretty damn safe. Brown is at four and six. After this game, they only have three games left. If they drop to four and seven, and you look at Cornell, you know, who closes the year with Columbia, could get a little dicey here. This is Brown's season. When these two teams played earlier this year at Princeton, you know, and I have to say that Llewellyn didn't play for Princeton. He's really important. Um, They went basically down to the wire. Brown had a shot to win it, a three to win it. They had a, sh- a two to take the lead with like 20 seconds left. Um, you know, Princeton on the road hasn't been that impressive. They're the better team here, but Brown's the most athletic team in this conference season on the line. Give me the Bears to keep the momentum going and make this Ivy League race interesting. I think they get their revenge. BJ, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to go with Nebraska plus one and a half at home against Maryland. Nebraska has one lone win in the big 10 this season, but again, I've been trying to buy law on them a few times. It hasn't really worked, but you know, the biggest problem with Nebraska all season long is they're one of the worst rebounding teams, not only in the big 10, but really in the country outside the top 300 in both offensive and defensive rebounding percentage. But Maryland, not that great of a rebounding team, 10th in, 10th in the Big Ten in offensive rebounding percentage. I don't think they'll be, able, they'll be able to exploit them that much on the boards. I, I mean, listen, there's nothing really positive I can say about the Nebraska defense. It's really, really bad. But they are fourth in the conference in turnover percentage on defense, while Maryland is turning it over at the fifth highest rate in the Big Ten. Maryland is obviously coming off that one-point loss to Purdue over the weekend, but they've only won twice on the road this season, and this is pretty much Nebraska's last chance, last winnable game of the season. I'm sure the mayor will probably be gone after this year. Also, uh, one of Maryland's best players, uh, Eric Ayala is a game time decision. Uh, so he, if he can't play, that's obviously a big blow to them. It's a wrist injury. So, and he's, you know, one of their, uh, heaviest guys in terms of shot percentage on their team. So that's obviously going to have a little bit of effect. So, uh, I like Nebraska uh, to potentially get their second big 10 win of the season at plus one and a half. Oh, corn. All right. Our final order of business. We have to decide which one of the three, three man we picks we have to roll with. I- I'm okay with any of the three um, Kent state Richmond over and Butler, I guess Butler's the most up in the air. So we don't know who's going to play, but since I'm okay with any of the three as I was last week and you picked the, uh, the right one with that, I'll, I'll let you keep it going until you fail. Which one of those three do you want to roll with? Yeah, if Butler was completely healthy going into this one, I definitely would just without a you know without thought just would take Butler. But you know, with those guys obviously being very important to the Bulldogs, I like Kent State in that revenge spot. Uh, you know that that Friday night game, I remember that uh, you know Van Please just went berserk in that game. So uh, I think you'll see a all in effort here for Kent State at home. So let's go with the Golden Flashes. Let's do it. Um, there you have it. I'm going with Brown. What can Brown do for you? BJ's going with Corn in Nebraska. Jim is going with VCU, Richmond, over. Kai is going with Butler. And Matt is going with Kent State. And our double pick, worth double, that BJ and I came to consensus on is Kent State. Before we get out of here, let's, uh, let me go to Jordan Majeski. From the Southern to the Summit League, the MEAC and the Missouri Valley, there are over 350 Division I programs. So let's get acquainted. This is Conference Confidential. Conference Confidential.
uh, at your Cubs Dam on Twitter. Friend of the pod, you know him well. And if you follow anything college basketball related on Twitter, I'm sure you follow Jordan. And if uh, you unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, have notifications on for uh, injury updates on a Saturday morning or, or Tuesday night, your phone can blow up, but I appreciate it myself. Jordan, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I uh, wanted to bring you on to talk some Valley. It's an uh, intriguing conference. Unfortunately, I think the conference has cannibalized itself as far as a multi-bid league for the NCAA tournament, but it should be a hell of a conference tournament. There's a lot of intriguing teams at the top. Uh, before we get to the kind of the top five or six, I'll give you just a, a forum for a minute to rant, to give a kind of state of the union of, I know you're an Indiana State fan, where, where does this program stand and what are your thoughts on it other than they just hate taking care of the ball? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some uh, seeds of excitement there. You know, Schertz has a innovative offense and he just, I think, is running into the, uh, the grind of Valley play and his style from Lincoln Memorial. You know, the big question is whether that could translate to the, you know, rigors of Valley play. And I think we're kind of seeing that it's not translating great in year one, um, but you definitely see the seeds of that. And everything's just undermined by their inability to take care of the ball. And it's not just like, you know, they turn it over because of ball pressure or whatever. You know, these guys like Bledson and Henry, they are great playmakers, but they're not ball handlers. And they literally just hand the ball over sometimes, you know, and it just undermines everything that they run. But, you know, uh, they're going to be a dangerous team in the play-in game Thursday night. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're very unselfish maybe, but that's not uh, what you want to be sometimes in basketball, but giving, literally giving the ball to the other team. Let's, uh, let's talk at the, the top. We'll focus on the top five or six teams. We'll get to Loyola last when we kind of wrap everything up with the NCAA tournament. But the team that Loyola will face – on Saturday, Drake is going for the sweep of Loyola on the road Saturday. This is a team, look, they didn't have Roman Penn. They didn't have Hemphill for a couple games. It's a bunch of seniors across the board. I would think they have to start making shots eventually. Um, you know, if you just go based on track record, but they haven't been making outside shots in conference play. What are your thoughts on Drake? Dangerous team. Can they cut down the nets in Arch Madness? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, they're a veteran team. But yeah, the shot making hasn't been there. But there's some definite signs of positive regression lurking there. And hopefully that for them, that would come at the right time. Well, you know, they've had injuries to Penn, to Tank Hill, And they also don't have that kind of like um, at-large drive that they had last year. And so, you know, the, I think they're kind of a, a sleeping giant um, just because of the, their veteran players and the fact that they should, in theory, start hitting some shots at some point. I think they like they've been coasting. I mean, obviously they've injuries, but they coast at times. They've been playing so many close games, but that's kind of the nature of the Valley. Moving on to one of the other top teams, Missouri State might be. We'll get to Loyola, but they might be the most talented team with Mosley and Prim inside out. What are your thoughts on the Bears? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're the most dangerous team because they can just catch fire in a tournament setting, and they're the best shot making team in the league. Um, you know, we've seen Mosley just absolutely take over games, and like you mentioned, it, there's balance there with Prim able to uh, establish himself on the block. And you know, it, a lot of the knock on Missouri State during the Ford era has been kind of the the mental aspect. And so if they can, you know, stay engaged for just a couple games, they absolutely have, you know, top-end talent, the best shot making, and it's just a matter of staying engaged on the defensive end. And this, yeah, Missouri State can absolutely win the tournament. Another team that could, and I think that you, you might be the highest on this team as far as, you know, one of the non-Loyola Chicago's to potentially win it is UNI, who's going for a sweep of Missouri State. They, they won at Missouri State earlier this year, I think by one. They're trending up. The thing with – Northern Iowa is there's such a high variance team. So they shoot a ton of threes, but they don't get any misses. And then they give up a ton of threes, but they don't allow any second chance points. So it's like if your threes are fall, if their threes are falling, God, good night. And if the other team's threes are falling, it's uh, it's problematic. So very high variance team, but the talent is there. Uh, what are your thoughts on you and I? Yeah, you summed it up pretty well there. You know, we saw on um, Super Bowl Sunday playing Loyola. If a team a top end team gets hot like that. It's just curtains for uh, Northern Iowa. You know, they have no recourse on defense. They can't, you know, Jacobson will sometimes extend pressure, but it's not very effective. They just, you know, it's a, a soft pack line 
and they just can't get stops when it matters. But they have guys like Green, you know, can be a human fireball. Um, Carter is a matchup problem for any team in the league, except Loyola, apparently. You know, and they kind of have that uh, chip on their shoulder from last year's tournament where they got COVID bounced before they could uh, even get going. And Green missed the tournament last, you know, missed the whole season last year. So they've kind of got a little extra fire, I think, coming into St. Louis and absolutely have the shot making and uh, offensive firepower to win it. It's just, you know, anybody who can hit a jump shot, you're going to get a ton of open looks against them. Yeah, maybe that works. Either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, their, best, their best defense is the other team missing threes. because Exactly. Clean up the glass, but that's um, the high-variance nature of them. The other two teams that we didn't mention besides Loyola, two excellent defensive teams in Southern Illinois and Bradley. Uh, if you haven't seen Terry Roberts play for Bradley, he's excellent. Jay Sean Henry's been out. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know how important you think he is. SIU grinds games to an absolute halt. I, I mean, look. The Valley, you're going to get a lot of half-court games. Southern Illinois games are on another level. They are excellent on the defensive end, but their offense can go through such droughts. If Domask is not balling out, it can get ugly. I, I had them the other night against Bradley. They almost pulled a 25-point lead, and, and the way that they play, that's hard to do. Uh, which one of these teams do you think has a better shot of making a run uh, in the conference tournament? Bradley, for sure. Um, we've seen them you know, compete and win against the top half of the league. They have top-end athleticism, and like you mentioned, Roberts is incredible on the ball, and uh, obviously they're the best defensive team in the league. With Southern Illinois, you know, I think Mullins is a great game planner. They know uh, how to scheme and take you out of your offense, but their own offense is, you know, a total mess. If it's not Damas creating a you know, mismatch somewhere um, in the front court, it's pretty much nothing, even – you know, at this stage in the season, Mullins is still trying to uh, tinker with rotations and like moving Jones off the ball and putting Banks on the on the ball. And, you know, it's just not working. And uh, I just they don't have the shot making to keep up with, you know, even Bradley, uh, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think they, they could I think they can win it. They're going to have to win every game like 45 to 43 um, right. on the entire weekend. How important do you think Henry is? I know Roberts has, has a boot on, but I think it's more precautionary. He's been dealing with an ankle issue, but how important is Henry for them? Uh, yeah, you know, he's was kind of like the heart and soul a bit or like what they the core of what they have in terms of athleticism on the wing and versatility defensively. So it is a big loss, but, you know, they've kind of adjusted to life without him. And I at this point, I'm not expecting anything from him. And I, I'm not yeah. sure Wardle is either. Yeah, I've seen him like he's doing like the light workouts, but it's uh, right. getting late. It's getting late early. Uh, all right, so let's go to the team that's projected to be in the tournament. Uh, and number one by most analytics and metrics is Loyola Chicago. Again, oh, and by the way, they are projected to be a number nine seed. Same as last year uh, when they beat Georgia Tech and then they upset Illinois. Uh, does this team have as high of a ceiling? I know the Kennedy's been out for some time. I don't know how important you think he is, but is this the team that you think, look, if the Valley's only going to get one bid, now it could get two if someone else wins other than Loyola. They have the highest ceiling of getting to the next weekend, or is it Missouri State? What are your thoughts on Loyola, especially compared to the team we saw last year? Loyola, there's there's nothing wrong with Loyola. It just seems like they're not nearly as invincible last year. Yep. And, you know, you look at the metrics, everything, like their shot selection, spacing, shot making, Everything is great, you know, top end of the valley. It's just when you watch them sometimes, the offense, they never really get into their offense. They're too easily taken out of it or whatever. They just don't have that air of invincibility about them. And obviously, it's structured differently without Krutwig. And so they're kind of issues in the front court, um, you know, with Knight, Hudson, and, uh, you know, sometimes Schweiger. Like, it just seems like there's they're taking turns over – who's going to be productive and they're not all the same defensive player either. So then you get into these rotational issues and I think, you know, that exposes some of their weaknesses sometimes. And, uh, you know, I've seen Valentine get out schemed a lot. He makes some great in-game adjustments, uh, mainly the second half against Missouri state. Um, but you know, I think in a tournament setting, they might get exposed a little bit in that regard. So if you had to buy stock in one Valley team, you can say you're, the stock they're going to get in to make the deepest run, who would it be? 
Missouri State. Yeah, I agree. They have, they definitely have the most talent. Um, if they right. put it together on any given night, uh, they are a scary team. Especially once they get, I think once they get out of like the just the absolute grinders in the valley, um, I think that they might thrive even more. Um, I, no, no one that we didn't mention from the bottom. I mean, Illinois State, Valpo, Evansville, just uh, can be a dumpster fire. N- none of them interest you for make, uh, a sleeper to make just even some noise in the tournament. Yeah, Illinois State's kind of weird, obviously, with a new coach, Brian Jones. Uh, last saw him at North Dakota. They play at North Dakota. They played super fast, pressured the ball. So, you know, there's – and they Illinois State has some shot makers too, you know. Uh, so there's a little bit of intrigue there. I, you know, I'm not saying they even survive Thursday night, but uh, it's just weird, you know. And they have some uh, ability to play the way that Jones wants to play and maybe, you know, catch a team off guard a little bit with that style. Yeah, I mean, Reeves is capable of going for 30 on any Absolutely. given night. Um, I, I think I, if they had Cy Chapman, I think they would be even more the dangerous. Cy Chapman loss um, is huge, yep. Yeah. All right, good stuff. I, I'll give you – let me – give me a prediction right now. Are you going to go with Missouri State to win it? Yep. That's uh, – I think so, too. And Louisville, Chicago, you know, they're in, and you're right. They have – I mean, they're 6-3 and three over their past nine. They, they had two overtime wins, you know, before then in conference. So they, it just hasn't been overwhelming, and I mean, the sense of ur- urgency might not be there because they're – you know, most likely going to be in the tournament regardless. Uh, Jordan, always appreciate your insight. Appreciate you, you taking time out of your busy day to join us. Before I let you go, I asked you this last year when you were on the podcast, if you had to take four teams right now, you get a million dollars if one of them wins it all, who are you taking? Gonzaga, tier one. Um, they're, I think, clearly the team to beat. Um, I'll take Villanova. I will take – it's a little dicey here. I'll take a healthy Kentucky, and, man, I love Houston, but I think they're running on fumes already, and that doesn't uh, pretend great things for March. Um, yeah, I'll do those three, and uh, let's throw Zona in there, I guess. Question for you with this Gonzaga team, because, you know, we saw them play earlier this year, and they're, get, they're getting better, you know, even though they don't, they're not playing better competition. But if you just look at margins and against expectations, but they're, you know, Holmgren's coming on. In order to stop them, do you think – because I was looking into their profile, right? You have to keep them out of transition somehow, right? I mean, they're just a juggernaut in transition. They're a juggernaut in the half court too, but it's just unstoppable in transition. So you have to, like, kind of slow them down and then maybe play zone against them uh, or pack it in. Like, what, what is the, the defense that you would go with against Gonzaga? Their zone numbers are great, um, but I, I just don't know how you would – the best way to defend this team. I'm trying to figure out, like, who – could potentially give them a scare in like the sweet 16 or elite eight, what type of team? Right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they, like you're saying, they just haven't had to face very many set defenses um, yep. because they just blow by everybody. Um, you know, I didn't really gain that much from the Alabama loss or the Duke loss. Um, you know, they could have won either of those games, but I think it takes a team that can match their shot making, which are, you know, um, which is Duke, Alabama, if they ever um, hit a jump shot again. But, yeah, you know, I so – You're saying you're not going to slow them down. You just got to outscore them. Yeah, that seems to be the case. But, you know, they – against Baylor, obviously, they got stuck defending, you know, uh, pick and roll and just, you know, Timmy got exposed in a major way, which isn't so much of an issue this year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who can slow them down exactly and make them – because, uh, you know, their shot making has improved this year as well. So I would be fearful of zoning them or even trying to. Um, yeah, I guess that's why they're my <laughs> tier one team right now, as well as yep. everybody else, I guess. Well, as a, I'm a Kentucky fan with a Kentucky future, I would love uh, to see a fully healthy Kentucky go up against Gonzaga. I think that would be a hell of a game. Um, they're going to be there in the end. Um, well. That's uh, all I needed from you today. I appreciate your time. And uh, if you don't already, make sure you follow at Jor, Jordan at Jor Cubs Dan on Twitter. We're going down the stretch. There's no one else you want to follow other than Jordan, who's watching as many games as humanly possible each and every night. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, brother. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, that'll do it for us. Thanks to Mr. Colin Wilson, as always, for checking in. The guys from the three-man weave for the Friday night six pack Jordan for joining us to talk some Valley. And of course, 
the co-host, BJ Cunningham, for going through Saturday's card. Make sure you download the award-winning Action Network app. Check out actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app for tons of college basketball content all weekend as we enter the stretch run. Thanks for listening. Appreciate the support. Leave a review. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Just do it. Leave a review, five-star review. They really help us. We'll do some giveaways shortly, and we will catch you same time next week. Also, Monday, myself, BJ, and Mike Calabrese will be back for an episode, and the guys from Three Man Weave, as always, will do their Wednesday episode. And you can find us Saturday morning live for Big Bets on Campus Live, 10.30 a.m. Eastern on Twitter. We will cover the college basketball Saturday slate myself and the guys with you man so make sure you check that out good luck this weekend cheers